Now we're really glad to see uh, everyone who's come uh, to the meeting tonight. Uh, whenever uh, you take a meeting like this, uh, I was afraid that I walk in the door tonight and there'd be nobody here. <laughs> but um, we're glad to see everyone who's come. And we do trust and we have been praying now for a number of weeks that the Word of God tonight would help us, comfort us, challenge us. And uh, as has been intimated, we're turning, please, to Acts chapter 20. We're glad to be here and trust that God will bless His Word. We're reading, please, from Acts chapter 20, and we're reading from verse 17. And we're going to read down to verse 33, please. Uh, really, verse 17 does give the introduction to this passage. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I just want you to notice, please, just to see the first two words of verse 22, and now. If you look at verse 25, and now. If you look at verse 32, and now. There's just three expressions that just on the surface divide up this little portion. That's just by the way, I'll explain that more. Verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. I just want you to pause there too and to see that uh, you'll see if you look down where I'm not going to read verse 38, he mentions that again. They weren't going to see his face anymore. Now, now look at verse 26, please. Wherefore I take to you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Finally, verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Now, we do look to God to bless his word. Now, introductions are a bit of a tedious thing, I think, so I'm not going to spend too long. But there is a few things just I need to say to you by way of introduction for this important passage. As verse 17 tells us, Paul sent from Miletus to speak to the elders 
of the Ephesian church. And he was speaking to them really for the last time. He wasn't going to see them anymore. And that's what makes this a very, uh, an emotional address. But there were things that he wanted to leave on record to tell them, to encourage them. And there were also things that he wanted to warn them about. Now what we have in this portion actually is, the, is really the seed plot of a lot of the epistles. There's so much truth contained in a short number of verses here. This is actually the only message in, all, in the Acts that's really addressed to believers. A lot of gospel messages in the early chapters from Peter, but this was really the only one for believers. Now, there's really no lofty truths presented in this passage. What we have in this passage before us tonight is a lot of practical exhortations. Paul was trying to meet the present need. Now, I think the need tonight in 2020 is just the same. Not a day for deep theology. But there's practical things that the saints need to hear and they're contained in this passage of Scripture tonight. Now, primarily this portion is addressed to elders. Now, you have to make that clear. But, while it's primarily addressed to elders, this truth in this portion can be applied to all sins. So, we come to this passage. I want to give just, I'm just going to give now a little outline that I'm going to gauge my remarks on in this little passage. From verses 18 to 21, I'm putting over that consistency in his service. We're going to see something of the consistency of this man, Paul. And this is relation to the past. Consistency. Brown and citizens, we start 2020. It would be a great thing if the speaker, if you were more consistent in your devotion to the Lord and in your fellowship even amongst the saints. Consistency. Then when we come to verses 22 to 27, we're going to see something of consecration in his service. What does consecrated really mean? It means giving your all. You see, we need believers in the assembly that give their all to it. That's what God desires. This is what Paul did. Then from verses 20 to 30, 28 to 31, we're going to you see concerns in his service. This now relates to the future. Paul says, really, in a matter, he says, now after I'm gone, certain things are going to happen. He outlines some dangers. And then at the end, the last two verses, Paul gives resources. He gives actually three resources. And I hope to get there tonight. You see, if I have to keep an eye on the time tonight, but I might have to summarize before nine o'clock. But he gives three resources for the people of God to meet the present need And so, that's what I have before me tonight in the ministry. Now, I do want you to notice, first of all, I want you to notice a little word that crops up uh, 17 times in the reading. It's a very small word. It's found twice in verse 18. Just the little letter, I. Paul speaking about himself. It's the power of example in one man. 
And I ask you tonight, did anybody, all, did anybody drink in the Spirit of Christ more than the Apostle Paul? A man that was absolutely devoted to God. He, he talks about in Philippians chapter 2 that his life was a drink offering. He was completely poured out. And you see, when a man like that gives himself as an example, saints have to listen. Because we're going to see just now in a moment, his life told out for God. I want you to see, I want you to see just something in first, his consistency. I want you to see just from verse 18 what it says, notice. Notice please now. He says, you know from the first day. Now, I want to emphasize that. The first day. Paul didn't say now, uh, I'll come amongst these sins now and I'll take it easy for a day or two. I'll wait till I get better in. No, from the very commencement. The very first day he arrived. He was the same to the very last day he was amongst them. He was consistent. He talks about, now listen to this wonderful phrase, from the first day that I came, on, came into Asia, what manner I have been. And his life just told out the kind of person he was. I want you to come with me in thought now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And there's actually three figures presented to us of this man, Paul. First of all, it says he was like a nursing mother amongst the saints. Then it talks about he was a caring father. Then later down that chapter before the end of it, it's, it says that Paul was like an orphan. That's how he felt whenever he was separated from the saints. He was bereft. He felt totally away, lonely away from the saints, you see. What manner of man he was amongst those saints? Has they seen the life of this wonderful man? <clears throat> and notice, please, what it does say. At the end of verse 18, with you at all seasons. Paul wasn't, you know, one thing one day and then another day something totally different. He was absolutely consistent. Now, how does this book of the Acts commence in chapter 1? It speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ and it says, you know, it talks about his life before his lip. And you know, that is always the order. The things that he began to do, it says, and teach, but it's what he did first. You see, it's often been said, and it's true, that the dear unsaved around us, they would rather see a sermon as hear one. And without saying a word, Your life sometimes tells out. And one deed done, one deed, can be worth more than a thousand words. Paul goes on to say now in verse 19. Notice please the kind of mind this man had. He had a humble mind. I remember, uh, I'm sure some of you have, have heard of the late Mr. Albert McShane from Lurgan. Uh, he was a man that took a lot of Bible readings. Uh, I would have heard a lot of his teaching. But he used to say this about the mind. He said if you could get believers to think right, they would act right. And when you come to the New Testament, you'll find a tremendous emphasis on the mind. I'm thinking now of Philippians chapter 2, the lowly mind that was in Christ. Think now of Romans chapter 12, the renewed mind. Be not 
conform to this world, but be ye transformed. You see, how do you and I get transformed from this world that we live in? It's through the mind and through the Word of God. You know, uh, some know I work in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a pork factory there in Cookstown. And uh, some days I'd just be glad to get home. I'd just be glad to get home to be done with all the hassle of looking about orders and things. And just to get down to this book, even if it's only for a few verses, just to get my mind lifted. I just say this to the saints tonight, and I know there's saints that are older here tonight. It's not the amount that you read from the Word of God. Never get too occupied by the amount you read. But even one or two verses can become rich spiritual food if you meditate upon them. Just think about them. Because I believe the key to reading is the word that's found in Psalm 119. I think it's about six or seven times. It's the word meditate. And while my father-in-law, he, he, he gave me a lot of books whenever I was younger, and I have a bit, in my house you'd find that I would have maybe 300 books or more. But it's surprising how few of those books I would use today. It's not that we look disparagingly on books. Of course, they're helpful. But I would urge my fellow saint tonight to think about meditation. On a short portion, becomes rich spiritual food. But I want you to see too, now passing on, because I want you to notice in verse 19 too, please, and this is important, how Paul served here. Notice, please, many tears. Now, stop for a moment. There was nothing hard about the Apostle Paul. Many tears. I'm just thinking now about the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 11, do you remember it was the silent tear in relation to Lazarus? It was just, it could be Jesus burst into tears. That could be literally the translation of John chapter 11. It was the silent tear over one individual. Now, come with me in thought now. I'm coming now to Jerusalem. Not now an individual, but a city. And the word is a little bit different now. It's a wailing. It's a stronger word. But come with me again to another word. I'm thinking now of Hebrews chapter 5. And says the authorized version, it talks about strong crying and tears. And it's not now an individual. It's not now a city. But it's a world, you see. And he's praying in the garden. And he's contemplating the removal of sin. And that's why it's now strong crying. And I've often thought to myself, if the, if the contemplation of sin was so terrible, what must the actual removing of sin be for Christ as he hung on Calvary? But I just want you to think of Paul now, tears. I have a little note here, this is what it's said now. Truthfulness and tearfulness are the qualities of the man of God. I do, some, I do think, think sometimes, you know, when men speak, you know, there's a, there can be a cold thing, a hard thing. I don't believe that's true of men that are really in spiritual. There should be a softness. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul says this about Timothy. Being mindful of thy tears. And though the scholars will tell us that was on some occasion whenever they parted company, I like to think that Timothy, like Paul, was a compassionate man. And Brian, that's what we need. Ephesians chapter 4 says, speaking the truth in love. You see, there's a, there's a, a right thing to be said, but there's a way to say it, you see. And so Paul speaks in this, this verse with many tears, you see. But I want you to see, we've maybe mentioned this now, and we'll mention this again just in verse 20. Notice, please, it says, He showed you and taught you. That's, that's the principle. You see, 
In the private and the public, Paul was always the same. His life showed his lip. The two things were consistent with each other, you see. Perfect consistency was seen in this servant of God. Now, moving on, I just want you to notice, please, and I, I, do want, I don't want to miss this, and I, I, just, I have to move on. Do you see verse 21? And just in case, now, supposing there wasn't an unsaved person in the meeting tonight, we don't want to miss this. Here's the gospel that Paul preached. And notice, please, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're living in a day, and you don't hear the word repentance preached too much from platforms. It just means this. It means a change of mind about sin. It's a change of mind. It's a change of direction. It's a change of destiny. Repentance. And there's no salvation without it. You see, you can't really, you can't have the world on one hand, you know. And salvation on the other. There has to be a complete break. A complete turning away from sin. And yet at the same time, Paul's saying, there has to be faith towards the person of Christ. For remember this book, this very book we're reading about tells us in chapter 4, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now that's just a wee side. I'll continue. You see, in this, this, this verse you have the scope of Paul's message, you have the content of Paul's message. Now, I want you to see something coming into verse 22. I want you just to notice Paul says, I go bound in the Spirit. Now, that's his, that's, that's his own Spirit. That's his, if you like, this verse is telling us about his determination. Here was a man who was totally absorbed by the will of God for his life and that nothing else mattered, you see. I, if I was to sum up Paul's life in one word, do you know what that word would be? Christ. And I've been thinking a lot lately, you know, that Christianity really is all just about a person. And whether I'm speaking in the gospel, it's Christ that I want to preach. I shouldn't be too worried about putting messages in. It's really Christ. When I'm speaking to saints, like I am doing tonight, the best ministry I could give you would be Christ. When I, I do a little bit, I'm not drawing attention to myself, but I do do a little bit of visitation on occasions. And whenever I go to see a few folks, I'll always open up the scriptures and I'll always try to bring a little word about Christ. There's no better ministry. And the longer I live, I am seeing this, that it really, if the Christian has plenty of Christ in his life, reading about Christ, thinking about Christ, Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. And if we fill our minds with the person of Christ, I tell you, it's a tremendous preservative. He says, I want us to draw your attention to one thing in verse 22 before I move on. I want you to see, he says in verse 22, Not knowing the things that shall befall me. Brothers and sisters, we've started another year and the truth of the matter is we don't know what it holds for us. Isn't that right? Every one of us. But I want to bring before you now the contrast between Paul not knowing and the person of Christ. Because if you read John chapter 18, this is what you read in the early verses. Jesus knowing all things went forth. We have been reading in our, in our Bible reading, uh, we're reading in Matthew at the minute, 
And we've just been noticing, even in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing. Isn't it good tonight that we're trusting in the one who knows the end from the beginning? And while we don't know what the future holds, we know that he holds the future. And nothing will happen to the child of God that isn't under his control. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there. He speaks about in verse 23, Save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And we have to ask ourselves a question here. Why did Paul have to suffer so much? Sometime at your leisure you go home uh, over the next week and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And you read the latter part of that chapter. You'll read about tremendous sufferings Paul had to endure. Why? Well, one of the reasons is this. He had to suffer governmentally because of what he'd done in the past. Do you remember he had been present at the stoning of Stephen? And while you and I have our sins all forgiven, sometimes we have to suffer governmentally for what we've done maybe in a past day. Paul had to suffer governmentally. And so even in Acts chapter 9, he was told about the great things he would suffer for the name of Christ. But let me tell you this, brothers and sisters. Do you see how more a believer suffers? This is the paradox. The more a believer suffers, the better he does for Christ. Isn't that amazing? You see, if everything was too rosy in the garden, we never had a trial. And by the way, I know you're reading about trials in 1 Peter at the moment. I believe there's a reason for every trial that comes our way. And that is to bring us closer to God. To make us more dependent. So I'm looking at your face tonight, and I know that you could have a trial that I don't know anything about. A burden. But I just encourage you, it's there for a purpose. And God wants to bring you closer to himself by making you more dependent. I can tell you I was more dependent this week as I thought about this meeting. And I had to pray a little more than maybe I normally did this week. You see, whenever you know you need Pacific help for a Pacific thing, it makes you dependent. Because if I was standing up here on my own steam, it would be of no avail, it would be no profit. We need the help of the Holy Spirit for every single thing we do for God. Or the whole thing's a waste of time. I'll move on. I want you to see in verse 24 the kind of man that Paul was. He says, none of these things move me. What an attitude to have in the things of God. Paul didn't even fear, didn't fear death itself. Why had Paul this exalted view of living? I'll tell you why. He had already given his life on the altar for God. And he accepted from God whatever would come. Paul was so in touch with God that he knew exactly when the end would be. If you were to read 2 Timothy tonight, you would see that he knew that the end was near. And yet the wonderful thing about it is, if you read through 2 Timothy, and you could do it in 15, 20 minutes, there's not a despondent note in it. It's an epistle that's full of joy. And yet here's a man, he's maybe in his last weeks of life. What's the secret? The secret is Christ in the soul, giving joy to the life, and it's not dependent on circumstances. And in Acts chapter 16, and they're putting the stripes on him in the prison, and he's singing praises to God. Why? Christianity is not dependent on circumstances. It's in something that's inward. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Those things are all inward, you see. 
Now, I just want you to notice this. This is, this is just a wee broad thing. Uh, a wee broad thing on the, uh, on, on the passage. You see in 23, in verse 23 we, we have what Paul passed through to plant an assembly. All these trials and difficulties. Now, just cast your mind down to, we'll come to it in a moment, 28. It's what the Lord passed through to purchase the assembly. His own blood. And then we have in verse 29, what Satan seeks to do to destroy the assembly. And we read about grievous wolves after Paul's departure. So there's just a little thing there, but I'll, I'll continue now. I want you to see. We'll pick up the threads again now. Verse 24. I want you to think about this now in verse 24. There's a little expression here. He speaks about finishing his course with joy. Would that be your desire tonight? Finishing your course? Mind you, I see there's, there's a spectrum here. There's younger people, there's older. It's good to start well. It's good to go on well. And as Paul says here, wouldn't it be good for older saints to finish their course with joy? In spite of all the trials that there is in life, just to have a joyful thing about you that comes from the Spirit of God, just being in control of the individual. That's what Paul speaks about here. And then he says, you know, he speaks about, uh, in verse 25, he, took, he speaks about that departure. But I want you to see just, uh, as I come to 26, I want you to notice this little phrase. He says, I am pure from the blood of all men. That's as a watchman. Paul had discharged his responsibility amongst men, you see. And you know, I suppose in the same sense, in the people that you and I meet come into contact with the time, we have a responsibility with them to share the gospel. Now, it's not always easy. I know I personally find it very hard as, as far as family members are concerned to speak to them. But I would always be praying maybe that somebody else with a gospel track or somebody else whom they work with would maybe share that with them. Because I find it difficult. But nevertheless, the responsibility is for all of us in whatever capacity we can to share the gospel. And this is what Paul's speaking about in verse 26. He says, I am pure. He has shared that responsibility from the blood of all men. I want you to see... Uh, the wonderful statement he makes too in relation to verse 27, he says, I have not shown to declare unto you. Notice please again that all the counsel of God. You see, Paul just didn't preach one thing, one place, and then he says, now I have to go to another place the next night, and I need to change that. He wasn't like that. And he didn't change his message to suit his audience. And neither should we. It's the whole of the counsel of God for all the people of God. And so that's what he's saying in verse 27. But I want you just to give you another little, I'm going to give you another little three now as I keep an eye on the time. I want you to see, you see in verse 28 broadly, I want you to think of spiritual activity. Now, 28, now. But in 29, satanic activity. And in verse 30, sectarian activity. Now, I'm going to have to explain those three. But there you have the three of them side by side. First of all, spiritual. Then satanic. And then sectarian. Now, I want you to notice, please, in verse 28. And I, was, I mentioned this to Tony uh, in the home tonight. There's about six verses in the New Testament where the Trinity are in them. That is, you have God mentioned, 
You have the Holy Spirit mentioned, and you have the Lord Jesus. And this is one of the six. Notice, please, you see, it's the Holy Spirit which is made overseers. We could say a little bit about that, maybe. It's not men that appoint overseers. It's the Holy Spirit. Notice, please, the assembly belongs to God, not to men. That's something we have to remember. That should make my... Uh, how, that decides now how I would behave. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, when he writes, he says, that thou mightest know how to behave thyself in the house of God. You see, there's a certain behavior in this place that's associated with God. That means I just can't come in any way I like. I have to be careful because it's not man's. It belongs to God. That makes the assembly a very unique place, you know. From a personal point of view, you see the, the meeting that I uh, the meeting that I cherish above all other meetings is the remembrance meeting, the remembrance of Christ. And you know why that is? It's because you see the presence of Christ is so real in that meeting. I know the presence of Christ is real in a sense tonight in the Bible reading, ministry meeting. And I know the presence of Christ is real in a gospel meeting. But there's something unique about the presence of Christ in the remembrance meeting. Which means that I can't just live whatever way I like between Monday to Saturday. And then expect to go to that meeting and function. And I, I, I'll, be, I'll be truthful with you. On many occasions I've been caught out. I've been caught out by just the holiness in that meeting. Whether we are really, whether we understand it or not, but there's a real presence in that meeting. And when we're not living accordingly, we find it hard. Hard maybe to even give out a hymn. Hard to give thanks. But do you see if we're in the good of it? And we're meditating on the right things on a Saturday evening, early Sunday morning possibly. We're enjoying maybe a little psalm or whatever it might be. I can't wait then to get to that meeting and express what I've got before the Lord. Spiritual activity. But I want just, just, just as, I, as I leave verse 28... Just the last part again. Think of the value of the assembly to Christ. He has purchased it with his own blood. You see, I know other places were told that the blood of Christ was for sinners, but in the context of this verse, it was for the assembly, the church. He has purchased it at tremendous price. And just to say this, you see, I'll just say this very quickly and I'll pass over it. The Holy Spirit gives a man, first of all, a desire to be an elder. I mean, that's a good desire. The Holy Spirit raises a man up to be an elder. And then the Holy Spirit enables a man to be an elder. And Brian, sister, we could say, it, we could say a lot, but I'll just say this. There's one thing we need to do for elders today. And we don't envy them their role in any way. You know the one thing we need to do for them? Is pray for them. Because they're facing things that are coming in now. They're facing tremendous difficulties in 2020. It wouldn't have been even heard of 10, 15 years ago. Now, verse, just to mention, verse 29 I know that after my departing, and I ask you again, how did Paul know? Paul was a man who lived so close to God that God communicated things to him. 
the closer a man or woman is to God, he gets things revealed to him. Today, of course, it's through the written word, you see. I remember uh, many years ago, a man, I, I heard it, and I think I heard it in a tape about a man who, uh, it was uh, the late Harry Bell was a, a real man of God. Some of you might have heard him on tape. Um, he was a little Welsh man. He, he had a rather squeaky voice. It was hard to maybe just uh, pick up. But I remember on one occasion, a man said to him at a conference, you see, he said, Mr. Bell, I have received a, re a revelation from the Lord. What should I do? <laughs> and the answer Mr. Bell gave him was, keep it to yourself. <laughs> you see, because there's no such thing today. We have the Word of God now. And back when the, word of the Scriptures were not complete, men did get revelations. And that, in fact, that's one of the reasons why 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14 was written, to give order to those things. Now, I'll just mention again, that's satanic, satanic activity, these wolves, after Paul was gone. They just came in and they destroyed the flock. Left them in ruins. But you know, if that's bad enough, I tell you verse 30 is more solemn still. Because we read in verse 30, Paul says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse idea behind perverse, speaking twisted things. And what, what's their motive? To draw away disciples after them. Men who only want the first place. A little bit like, here's an example, Third John. There's a man there called Diotrephes. And says the text, who loveth to have preeminence? Brian and sisters, let I just say kindly, he's not saved at all. I remember it came up on a Bible reading one night uh, that I was present in. And they were wondering, was Diotrephes saved? But I just pointed out from the context, he couldn't be saved. The things that he was doing, he was pitting, he was casting men out of the church. Now, the reality is this now, and this is the danger, that you could get men in the assembly that are not saved at all. That was the danger in Paul's time. I suggest to you it's still possibly a danger in 2020. And they have no care about the flock. They're only after number one. Colossians chapter 1 says that in all things he should have the preeminence. And the assembly is centered around one man and one man alone. And I get a little bit annoyed at times whenever I hear of men, you know, in I've heard tell just recently, I've not mentioned the place, and every week the prayer meeting, one man gets up and the another brother says, the next man, you see. And every week, this man, next week. Brothers and sisters, on a Lord's Day morning, in the prayer meetings, the Spirit has sway. He rises up men. Men shouldn't be so foolish. Asked to do all the speaking, all the praying. I've even heard about a man <laughs> in a prayer meeting, he prayed twice one night <laughs> in the same prayer meeting. Absolutely ridiculous. Now, you see, Whenever men rise up to draw away men after them, what it causes in the in assemblies is rifts, divides. It doesn't unite anybody. If it's true, it'll, it'll bind and unite the people of God. Now, uh, we'll come now uh, to the three threefold encouragement I'm going to finish with. And I'll only... only I've mentioned this before. The preacher's allowed three finalies. I was away on Sunday night and I said, I'm allowed three finalies, but I only give them one. So I'm only going to give you one tonight too. One finally. Three encouragements. What are they? First of all, in verse 32, the presence of God. Brian, if there's something we need in our assemblies, every one of us will be more of a sense of the presence of God. 
What number two? The word of God. Notice what it says in verse 32. It's described like this. It's only found here. The word of his grace. Wonderful expression. You see, here's Paul and he's leaving these people for the last time. He could do nothing better for them than to commend them to God. Brian says, I could do nothing better for you. I might know your name tonight. But if I was to commend you to God at the throne of grace, I could do nothing better for you than that. I think of the people that I work with at times and I mention by names at the throne of grace and of course my family and trials that I know. Every morning I would have the habit of just commending those that I know to God. And I suggest you couldn't do anything better than that. To bring God into the equation. You see, if we don't pray at the start of the day, if we don't pray at the end of the day, we're leaving God out, you see. And so it's a good habit to get into this, this little, that I need to pray, you know. Even Nehemiah, you know, on the way, it says he, he prayed on the way to seeing the king. He prayed just, he sent that prayer. And sometimes I often think, you know, if I'm called, if I'm called suddenly to the office, you see, at my work or something happens to me suddenly, what do I do? I suggest to you I just pray. Wherever that is. Where it be in the car or at the workplace. Prayer brings God into the equation. And so he commends these brethren, he, he commends them to God and the word of his grace. And notice, please, you see, I want you to think now of the word, for you, have the, you have the word of God, that's the source. You have the word of the Lord, that's his authority. You have the word of righteousness, that's his truth. You have the word of truth, that's his content. Content. But in this verse, the word of his grace, it's, it's, notice the next phrase, which is able. If a believer wants to make progress, how is he going to do it? There's only one way you're ever going to make progress, brother, in the word of God, and that's to read it, to meditate upon it. Notice, please, that verse 22 says, it's able to build you up. Now, listen. Tomorrow morning's newspaper will not accomplish that. Now, I'm not saying I don't... By the way, I do, <laughs> I do read the newspapers. But what I'm saying is this. The spiritual edification that you and I need doesn't come from papers. It comes from this sacred volume. And uh, I have developed, over the years, developed... I, a system which I rigidly stick to. I don't always accomplish what I want, but I have a system of reading that I never deviated from. But as I said to you earlier, short little meditation. Now, just on the just just to finish now on verse thirty-three. Think again just for a moment as I close to the kind of man Paul was. <coughs> Notice what he says in this verse. I have coveted no man's silver or a gold or a pearl. Paul wasn't in the work of God for what he could get out of it. If a brother was in the work of the Lord for that motive, and I don't know what this says. Totally wrong. And we're living in a day when you do hear of all kinds of sort of figures of money being banded about as far as the servants or God is concerned. But it's totally foreign. Paul was in this work to give of his time, to give of his labor, to give of his gift, you see, I'll just say this, any gift that a man has, it's never for himself. It's for the good of others. It's always for the blessing of others if a man's got a gift. You see. 
But it needs to be the gift that an individual has needs to be nurtured. It needs to be kindled. It needs to be used. And so Paul speaks of this motive that he had. He didn't, he didn't need anything from them. He didn't take anything from them. And though even, I'm thinking now even of the, the Corinthian letter you see, and I'm, I'm, Paul's love wasn't even returned by those saints at Corinth. And yet that didn't really matter to him. He still served them. And he done everything for them. Now, I do not trust enough has been said, but I just maybe just say this and I will finish. The assembly is precious. And I think that no man can truly, you know, look after sheep until he realizes their great, great worth. Every believer, no matter who he might be, they're all precious to God. And sometimes if, if you think that, if you look around, you look around and then I look around my assembly and you see all kinds of different folks. And sometimes it is hard to get on with everyone. <laughs> I'll admit that. But Mr. Jack Hunter used to say, prayer will regulate your relationships with your brother. And if you were having a little problem with any of them and you were to put it into your habit to pray for them, you would find that things would change. So may God bless his word, but trust that you've got something out of our little meditation tonight. And may God bless his word, shall we pray. Father, we just bow before thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thank thee for thy word and pray for thy blessing of it to the saints here at Scott Street. We thank thee for any measure of help we've been given. We thank thee again for the greatness of this man, Paul, the life that he lived before thee in the service. And we thank thee again for the one that he was linked to, our Lord Jesus Christ. We come before thee again at almost the end of another day and we thank thee that we're linked to one who suffered, bled and died at Calvary that we might be saved. And we can say tonight with the poet that the glory shines before me. I cannot linger here. Though clouds may gather over me, my Father's house is near. And we just commit the assembly here today, every member. We've been thinking about trials and disappointments and concerns and worries. We commend them all to thee. And pray that every head here might be helped and strengthened and blessed by thyself. Take us now just to our homes in safety. We're conscious again of others that are in mourning tonight. We think again of that home even over by Town. We've heard today of this dear woman that's been missing from November. She was found today. We commend that dear husband and young family to thee. We pray for others tonight going through trials that maybe we know little or nothing about. And ask your God in it all we know thy presence and thy help as we journey on, giving thee thanks again for our 